where we talk about women from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. That's correct. This is our last episode of season one. It's the last one. 2017 is coming to a close. It is. The end is drawing nigh. Oh, that sounded rather apocalyptic. (laughs) It is apocalyptic. It's not apocalyptic. We're just going to finish this season. We're calling this season one. Season uno. Season uno. And next year will be season dos. Oh, Oh, different languages. Okay, cool. Good job. (laughs) Good job, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us for this entire year. This will make 23 different women that we've covered. Wow, that's so many. That's amazing. A lot. Who would have thought when we started? Thought we would have been done after four. Yeah, we've actually, you know what? Good job us. I know. Committing to a thing. Yeah. Earlier on in the year when we started this, one of our dear friends, I never told you this, she said to me, how long can you keep this up for? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And here we are. And I was like, I don't know. We'll see how we go. 23 episodes later. And here we're we still are. Here. Yeah. yeah. Good job. Us. I know. Because you know what? Committing to creative projects is actually really hard. It is. They're very time consuming. So we've done it. Good we've job. Done us. A good we're going to pay each other on the back. Yay. So thank you for sticking with us. We have a few more announcements because we love announcements. Announcement music. But wait, hold the announcement oh. music. We might do it at the end. <gasps> Okay. Because I reckon since it's our last show, we should just crack on and get, get straight, into, straight it. into it. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Are you feeling good? Are you feeling I'm, ready? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fine. Full of pizza? I'm so full of pizza. I'm actually feeling quite nauseous. We eat pizza almost every time we record. We do. When <laughs> I said I'm feeling fine, what I meant was I'm feeling bloated and disgusting. <laughs> That's what I meant. So, uh, yeah, we're going to crack on today. And today's podcast has an amazing soundtrack that goes with it. Oh, right? yeah. Okay. Yes. So we're going to a period of history. Remember when we were talking about Agnes Goodsir mm-hmm. and we were talking about periods of history that you're a bit obsessed with yep. and that you would go back to and oh, you yeah. were like, oh, France in the ninth, Paris in the 1920s. Paris in the 20s. Take me there. I am such a cliche. You're such a cliche. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My cliche period of history that I would go back to is the 60s. Yeah. 100% the 60s. Take me to like... London in the 1960s. <sighs> Countercultural. I would be. Summer a- of Love, 1967. Hate Ashbury. Exactly. I actually don't me- know if oh. I want to be there because that got really fucked up it really quickly. It did, actually. And speaking of Hate Ashbury, that's something that's going to be interesting. We'll come back to Ooh. that later on. I've been doing Just- a lot of reading about Hate Ashbury in the, in the Summer of Love recently. Yeah. So. Just a little bit of that sort of hate Ashbury sort of mm. vibe is going to carry into our story today. Excellent. So, our story today, we're talking about. Ushi Obermeyer. Ushi Obermeyer. All right. Or Ushi. Ushi. However you'd like to say it. I'm going to say it in my Anglo way, in my least German accent that I can muster. Which is really probably the best authentic way to go. That's right. to you. So when we started this podcast at the start of the year, there were two women who I was desperate to do. Mm. And Ushi was one of those women. I've saved her. 
till last. You've been telling me about Ushi for like ages. I have because I really feel like Ushi is going to be someone that you feel and you know what? a connection I to. I did try to – so there's a film about Ushi, right? There is. But it's German. It's Yeah, but it's subtitled. Yeah, but this is the problem, Alicia, because I got the film and it didn't have subtitles mm. so I couldn't watch it. So I actually – but it's maybe not actually, a bad thing because it means that I get to come into this episode blind. Yeah, that is correct. And I get to react in a virginal fashion. <laughs> In a chaste, virginal fashion. She's also a listener request. We also, earlier in the year, had someone on Twitter ask us if we would do Ushi. So Yes, we did. So And when they asked, I was like, yes, yes I'm onto queen, it. Believe me, we will get to her. So now is the time we're here. Ushi. Ushi, Ushi me up. Ushi is still alive and kicking. Just Good. so you know. Because so not a lot of our deviant women are. No. So we're still in contemporaneity mm. as well because she's still around. Just as a bit of a, a sort of a caveat for today's episode, she has written a couple of books or co-written a couple of books, a couple of autobiographies. And now my information today is not taken from those autobiographies. Because they're in German? Unfortunately, despite Herr Hordio's best attempts over the five years of high school German that I did... <laughs> Her audio was at your German <laughs> That was my German teacher in high school. <laughs> Despite his best efforts, not enough German was retained for me mm. to be able to read an entire autobiography. Yeah, fair enough. Unfortunately, I couldn't go to the primary source, which mm. sucks, because there was a perfectly good primary source there. Such a shame that it hasn't been translated. It hasn't, and it's amazing because it was a bestseller. Yeah. So I don't know why it hasn't been translated strange. into English. She's written actually a couple of books, and mm. I don't think any of them have been translated into English. So where well, there does... you go. If we can all create enough demand, perhaps um, if we send letters en masse to her German publisher and say, <laughs> please, may we have um, an can English Can we please have this in please? English? That would be great. But... We don't. So we're just going to have to go with what struggle I... Struggle through for now. We're just going to struggle through with what I do know from my English sources mm. and my complete lack of German translation. So where shall we start? Let's start with her birth. We always start with their birth, don't we? It's a good place to start with it's a the, person. I mean, yeah, it's the logical place. It is a logical place. Mm. So... Ushi was born on the 24th of September 1946 mm. in Munich, Bavaria, as Ursula. Oh. Ursula. Oh. Isn't that a great name? Ursula. And then you're going to shorten it to Ushi. But that's cool. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. So, 1946 in Munich. Yeah. Right? It's a turbulent time to be born. It is. Mm. So, it's post war Munich. But only by, like, a year. Yeah, yeah. So the war has only ended a year before she's born. And she's born in Munich, so she's in West Germany, right? But as you can imagine, like, a pretty crazy place. Oh, yeah, definitely. To be brought up. Because Munich during the war was heavily bombed and extensively damaged. Yeah. It was hit by something like 71 air raids over five years. And then after the U.S. occupation in 1945, it was rebuilt. Mm-hmm. So within about sort of 10 years, by the time she was, you know, roughly about 10 or 10? so. Yeah, <laughs> after 10 years. Munich had sort of regained its kind of economic status. Mm. And it had a population of about over a million people by this stage. But this didn't serve to make it a particularly exciting place 
for a young teenage girl, I imagine. Young right? Ushi. Young mm. Ushi. So she lived with her mother, her single mother, in a pretty working class sort of area of Munich. And I think like many angsty teenagers, she wasn't particularly excited by suburban yeah. Munich life. Yeah. It's a bit boring and dull, I imagine. Mm. So also like many angsty teenagers, yeah. she threw herself into rock and roll. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Of Salvation. Course. Because what teenage, not even girl, just what teenager yeah. doesn't find salvation through rock music. music. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you know, apparently teenagers listen on average to three and a half hours of music a day. Really? That's an average. Wow. That means there's a bunch of teenagers who listen to more music than that every single I, day. Every I, single day. There was a thing about how teenage brains are pretty much wired into music in a yeah. very different way to adult brains. Like, by the time you're an adult, those kind of connections to music and what it instills yeah. in you have kind of... I don't know, not broken down, but they're not the same as when you're young and music just connects into your brain. Definitely. So she threw herself into rock and roll. And so this would have been when she was a teenager, it would have been the early 60s. Yeah. So she's around for the prime of that early, like... Yeah. (laughs) We are going to be... We're going to be 1960s rock and rolling it. She is super primed for the... She's like a perfect age. She is. And so Ushi, right, I haven't said as yet what she's famous for or why she's going to become important to us. Ushi's sort of referred to as like an iconic groupie, Mm. okay? Groupie's Mm. a problematic word. It is. But she's a famous groupie, okay? This is not all she's famous for, but this is kind of the tag that often gets attributed to her. So rock and roll is obviously going to be pretty massively important important and we'll come to that we'll come to her relationship with rock bands as a groupie yeah but this is not all she does okay she's a more complex person than just a groupie that's right yeah not there's anything wrong with being a groupie of course not but there's more to it than i think what that term implies stalking bands precisely Mm -hmm. that music as we're saying it's like the 60s so we're talking like the rolling stones Jimi Hendrix, yeah. and these are important people uh-huh. that we should uh-huh. remember. So Ushi used to sort of brighten up her teenage years by travelling to Munich's Big Apple Club, where the big German bands of the time um, would play. Bands like the Lords and the Rattles, who I'm sure none of us have really heard I've never of. heard of the Lords and the Rattles. I think the Rattles did have one really, really famous oh, I thought they were song. like one band, the Lords and the Rattles. No, 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 two separate bands. I was bands. like, that's like, great. No, I wonder like, what the connection is. Like, the Lords... Um, Second band, the, the rattles. rattles. Yeah. Okay, that makes um, more sense. If you're German, you probably know these bands. Yeah, you probably just like rolled your eyes at me, just yeah. being like, oh my god, I can't believe you. I've conflated those two bands together. Band. They're clearly massively famous German rock bands, <laughs> but we don't know a lot about them. I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry for my lack of German rock music knowledge. I, I feel don't know really bad about that. Rock music. Well, ooh, she did. She was mad into it. Mm. So you can imagine her, um, young teenager, clubbing. And she also, at this stage, got a little bit into the old methamphetamine. Oh, right? I mean, part of the course, right? Par- well, actually, I shouldn't say methamphetamine. I should say amphetamines. Amphetamines. Yeah. Okay. All so right. there was a particular drug called captagon. Oh. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Captagon. Wow, I sound like such a nerd. I can't <gasps> even say drug names correct. Know. I don't know how to say drug oh, names. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I've, I've heard of captagon. Uh, but this is actually a drug that 
in more recent years has become associated with like ISIS and terrorism. What? Because it's a form of amphetamine. It's a form of speed. Yeah. There's been quite a lot of talk about how it's something that's used by terrorists to like pump themselves really? up before they go in. Oh my goodness. To like an attack. <laughs> and terrorism is something that we're going to remember as oh, well for this story. Whoa, that is going to okay. come into this story later on. But she got to a point where she basically said that she needed the drug to get up in the morning. <laughs> But then to calm herself down later on, she'd smoke some joints. Yeah, of course. Then <laughs> classic like, combo, Alicia. Classic combo. Also, she later on she added some LSD into her mix. I was going to say, and it's really only a matter of time before she's taking trips. Yeah, exactly. But she actually had a trip that was so bad; it was a near death experience that oh, that sort really? of put her off of doing that. Oh uh, yeah, that would. But you can get the sort of sense of the teenage years. Look, sixties rock and roll scene. You can't imagine that scene without without, without those drugs some, added in. At least one of those drugs, whatever your yeah. drug of choice might be, whether it's pot, amphetamines, or LSD. Yeah, yeah, you're probably taking something. There's something in there somewhere. Yeah, rock and roll and drugs. Yeah, sex, hand drugs, hand. and rock and roll. So it didn't actually take long because something we should mention is that, uh, and if you look up photos of Ushi Obermeyer from the '60s, you'll know what I'm talking about. Didn't take long for her stunning looks mm. to catch, catch some catch eyes. The eye of, of important eyes. Catch some important yeah. eyes. Because when I mentioned how uh, Ushi was a famous groupie, she was a model, a yes. professional model, right? Yeah. So at this stage, she catches the eye of a photographer for a magazine called Twen. Twen. Yeah, which is like mm-hmm. a shortening of 20s. Oh, yeah, right? okay. Because it's mainly... That's the demographic yeah. that it's aimed at. And this launches her career as a model. Yep. So I don't actually know if this is a true story or not, if this is a bit of an apocryphal story. But one of the stories that often gets attributed to her is that she's she's supposedly one of the first models to, to ever pose nude on a magazine cover. Oh, wow, really? Topless on a magazine cover. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it's often attributed mm. to her as the first model topless Is this again early cover. 60s? I think this was the late 60s when this actually happened. But, yeah, this is something that sort of often gets talked about with her, that she was kind of groundbreaking in that way because she wasn't shy to show off her beauty, right? This is one of those situations where if you've got it, flaunt Flaunt it. it. Use it. Use it. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about this. I think Ushi's really interesting because we've talked a lot about women who have made their way in the world through their smarts mm. and through their skills and talents. And that's not to say that Ushi Obermeyer didn't have smarts or skills or talents. Yeah. But it's very different when the career that she's going into, mm. the life that she's setting up, is a life of beauty. It's a yes, life based, it relies on that, yeah. It does. It yep. relies on her physicality. And she knows that, right? And yeah. she's going she's gonna to use this to her advantage. That's right. You use the ass- assets that you're given. I think that it's a, a very... The criticism that's often leveled against women who are beautiful and using that to help them get them in places. What's the difference if you're born really intelligent or you're born with an athletic skill and you're using that to get ahead in life? No one criticizes athletes because they were born really tall with big muscles and using that to launch professional athletic careers or a swimmer who's born with really big feet and hands. So they're (laughs) going to be naturally really Mm. great in the water. You know, like if you're a woman, particularly when society reduces women so often to their physicality mm-hmm. and to their looks, to then tell women, no, 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 
we've put this one single value on you for but, your physicality, yeah. but you're not but allowed don't to use, you use that. it. You can't use that for your power. I'm going to use that for my pleasure and yeah. power. That's bullshit. And if you think about like where she is in the world, she wants the fuck out of Dodge, yeah. right? You know, she wants to get out of this boring working class life that she's been born into here is a door into that here is a door that's opened into a whole new world yep and she's gonna take it because who wouldn't exactly exactly who wouldn't do this so this launches her career as a model and she continues for the rest of her life to work as a model i'll just jump ahead a tiny bit in her Mm -hmm. life she posed naked for playboy at 50 whoa i think or maybe it was 60. She was like 50 or 60 when she posed naked for Playboy. So you can just imagine yeah. the kind of like badass yeah. motherfucker. That's pretty cool. That we are talking about. Yeah. We'll bring it on back to the yeah. 60s though and we'll stay in the 60s. Yeah, so she caught the eye and this launched her into her career. Now we'll fast forward a tiny little bit in mm. the 60s and we're going to talk about an important period of the 60s going to talk about 1968. Oh. So you touched on this before, right? It's the Cultural Revolution. It is. So 1968, the Vietnam War is in full swing, yep. of course. Yep. This is the year when the Tet Offensive, which was like the Viet Cong attacks, like escalated. Right, yeah. Um, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Yes. Yep. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Yep. There were student uprisings. Around the globe, yeah, yeah, around the globe, Italy, Spain, France, France, and of course, West Germany, yeah. So, this is the kind of it's a hotbed of action and revolution, yeah. Everyone's very politically engaged, so very passionate, and the youth is, yeah, incredibly politically engaged at this point in time. Student rebellion, is rife because this is also a period of time where a lot of student movements were very heavily into the ideas of the left. So Maoists yep. and uh, the, you know, Marxists, yep. Yep. all this sort of stuff. Because even though there was this division between East and West Germany, there was still this sympathetic concept towards communism mm-hmm. and socialism. Mm. And this was a huge part of sort of student life, even in the allied parts of yeah germany germany yeah there was still a lot of sympathy for these very left i get leftist ideas Mm. and in the spring of 1968 the leader of one of the largest student organizations in germany was shot and this set off arson Mm. attacks and terrorist groups and this leads to the formation eventually of the red army faction which is actually formed after the Beta-Meinhof gang, who you may well have heard of before. Yep. Very famous. But we're going to come to them in a minute. But this is the kind of environment. Political hotbed. Political hotbed. Everything is happening. So into this, Al Ushi moves to Berlin, right? Into the hotbed. Center. Center of all of this action. And she moves into a commune. Oh, of course she does. Yes. Yes. I knew yes, you'd be yes, excited yes. about because you you love <laughs> another point of interest for me is communes. Lauren <laughs> loves a good commune. Just loves a good. I love this whole scene. I'm about to be investing myself in this scene too. Well, this is what of. I mean. This is why I, I keep <laughs> telling you about Ushi. This is why I'm like, you're gonna love it. To get to it. So 
She moves into a commune and this commune actually is a little bit famous for having a band or two bands, I should say, attached to it. Again, German bands that I'm not going to say their names correctly, but they were known as Amon Duhl. Uh-huh. And uh, they were like a psychedelic, early psychedelic kind of band. Excellent. And so while Love she was... a psychedelic band. Yep. While she was in the commune, she briefly was a member of the band in which she played maracas and oh, cool. percussion. You know what? That would be me. I would, would. Be like, I would be the one who'd be like, guys, I really want to join your psychedelic band. In the, I, but I, I can't, can't play anything. I can't play anything. Can I have the maracas? I just want to join in, <laughs> I just want to be a part of what's happening. <laughs> well, you, my friend, yes. you're the issue of this story. Because she played maracas on a couple of their albums. <laughs> so, the album. Yeah. Yeah, they were actually a really popular band. I was just picturing her in the commune, like when they're all gathered around having their like, you know, communal yeah. evening. Yeah, but they still recorded actual they yeah. were quite really quite popular. And they actually why I say there were two versions because I think the story goes there were a few musical differences between the members of the band. Oh. So they split into two. So yeah. then there came and became another band that was called Amundul Two. Basically. <laughs> so they were just basically two bands. With the same no. name, but there was one and there was we two. We really like this name, man. We're just gonna. <laughs> we're just gonna be. We're just gonna. We're two. gonna keep it. It's really true. Maybe number two. <laughs> so it's with this band performing at the International Song Days in Essen, where Ushi meets and falls in love with the first. Who's gonna be the first important love of her yeah. life? Oh, who is it? Raina Langs. Okay. I don't know who that is. So that's I was I was getting myself all amped up for someone that I knew, but that's you're okay. You're gonna you are gonna know some people. Believe yep. me, you're gonna know some people. So her and Raina fall madly in love with each other. And I actually don't think it'd be that hard to fall madly in love with Ushi. She's pretty great. Raina Langs is already part of a commune, another commune. A different commune. Called a competing com- commune. A competing commune <laughs> called Commune One. What? And why is that so funny to you? So unimaginative. Like you're a, communes are full of hippies and artists and bohemians. You can come up with something better than commune one. No, commune one. That's all they got. <laughs> That's it. That's entirely what's involved. So commune not one tripping enough. No, clearly not yet. Not yet. Then. <laughs> so she moves in with Raina into the commune. Now. This commune is politically charged, yeah. right? Yeah. Obviously, because that's what communes quite often are, yeah. you know, full yep. of sort of self-professed revolutionaries yep. and who are trying to sort of tear down ideas of the sort of nuclear family yep. and all of this sort of stuff. Capitalist, Fight, patriarchy. capitalist patriarchy. fighting back. And especially as well, as you can imagine, for the young people of Germany at this time, mm their parents' generation who were involved in the war, right? So a complete pushback against wartime Germany, like Mm. a complete separation from this and fighting back against the generation that's come before them. So in this particular commune, some of the sort of rules were there were no toilet doors, everything was public there was no there was no private no no, such thing as possessions no such thing as privacy or possessions. You weren't even allowed to make love privately like yep. if you're gonna have this sex is how charles manson ran his commune it too, sure is yeah exactly <laughs> if you're going to have sex then you need to do it where everyone can see because yeah. you know there is no private life yeah and so into this ushi goes with Raina. yeah the thing is is that what she said multiple times is that she had zero political interest. Mm. She wasn't interested in the politics of, right, okay. of this experiment. So she's just gone for him. She is solely there because she loves him and she wants to be with him. Mm. And the politics of the actual experiment in this 
commune don't really interest her, but she wants to be with him. Yep. And, of course, there's the idea of free love. So Yeah, so she can't be exclusively with him because that's not the rules. Well, it's more that he is not exclusive, exclusive to, her. to her. Yeah. And yeah. she can't complain about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's even though it's kind of set up as this free love, it's not ideal. No. You know, it's not for all the ideology – it ain't perfect. No. And some of the members were quite militant in how the commune could function as well. So anyone who drank Coca-Cola was like a counter-revolutionary. The fact that Ushi smoked menthol cigarettes meant that she was sort of like playing into the hands of capitalist imperialism. Really? Like all of this kind of... Yeah, yeah. They're pretty hardcore. Pretty hardcore. But what actually happens is because there are so many demonstrations at this time, so many protests. And the members of the commune, they're obviously going along to these. They're, you know, they're part of this. And Ushi's face sort of starts getting in the media as being part of these protests. Oh. And she starts to become heavily associated heavily associated so she was already famous enough that people as a model yes she was had already garnered some fame as a model and then she starts to become attached to these student revolutions Mm. and that she starts to sort of become what is most interesting to the press yeah about commune life of course yeah and she's the poster child yeah and her relationship with Raina fascinates the press yeah. much more than the politics. Yeah. They don't even care about the politics anymore. Yep. And, of course, in this particular world as well, I suppose what happens is that the private sphere is what's becoming politicised. Yes. Know? Yeah, because that's the whole point, right? That's They're destroying the, the nuclear family, notions of free love, everybody's sleeping with everybody, everybody's yes. sharing lovers, yeah. and everyone's apparently cool with this. That's the whole point. Yeah. They were interviewed multiple times and they were very explicit about yeah. their relationship and their sex life. So like you said, so she was not super happy with this free love commune because she was obviously in love with him and she didn't want to share. And he was happy with the arrangement because he got to have her and everybody else. Mm. When they're speaking publicly about it, does this this tension sort of arise? or Not in any of the stuff that I've read, but I, because I think that, for her as well, this face that was being presented to the press worked in her favour. Yeah. So whether or not she was actually, you know, she said that she wasn't political. She didn't care about the politics of the situation. Mm. But actually talking about it to the press and presenting it as this life that she's living. She gets to use that to her advantage. It Precisely. Yeah. That's exactly right. So they become hugely popular in the press, but also kind of as this symbol of degenerate yep. youth yep. as well, okay? So it's it's not just like, oh, isn't this amazing, this whole new world of opportunity that's opening to – but it's also this sort of degenerate mm. breakdown mm. of the youth's gone crazy. Yeah, look at what these kids are doing. They've gone mad. Yeah, yeah. So this was all sort of happening at this particular time and there were photographs of them semi-naked published in a bunch of magazines and they were across newspapers. They became pretty much symbols of student revolution and alternative counterculture life. Yeah. So last episode we were touching on counterculture. Yeah. They're very much part of the counterculture. And sometimes they're referred to as sort of like 
the German equivalent of John and Yoko. Yeah. But the thing is, is that John and Yoko, it's actually more likely that John and Yoko were inspired. By them. By them. Really? Because their bed-in wasn't until like 1969. It wasn't until the A year next, later. It wasn't until yeah. a year later. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually much more likely that they were inspired yep. by Ushi and Reina. Mm. So there you go. There you go. Pioneers. Pioneers. John and Yoko didn't even do their own original thing. <laughs> <laughs> they just copied the Germans. Well, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they, uh, the they German knew. press didn't. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they probably. <laughs> they, <laughs> they probably did. They, they definitely did. Anyway, also during her time in the commune, because the commune was, again, this is, they knew, because the commune was pretty famous. Yeah, right? yeah, it okay. had a reputation. And uh, one of the visitors to the commune was a Mr. Jimi Hendrix. Oh, of course. 1968, Jimi Hendrix. So, Jimi... Like peak Jimi Hendrix. Peak Jimi Hendrix. He would have just come from the human being in... The human being! San Fran. Yes. You're all about this. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Oh, you know more about it than I do. I mean, I've, this is but my this current is why, research area. But this is why yeah, I'm talking yeah. about Haight-Ashbury, right? Yeah. Because this is very Haight-Ashbury. Yes. This is a very, very similar thing. Yeah. So, Ushi, what are you going to do? You, You're just like, oh shit, that's Jimi Hendrix. That's Jimi Hendrix. You are gonna have <laughs> yourself, Jimmy. You're gonna have yourself, so Jimmy, a night with Jimi of Hendrix. Of course you would. There's actually film footage. There's really? film footage of Jimi Hendrix getting out of a taxi in Berlin, in West Berlin, and like kissing Ushi and giving her a kiss and a cuddle goodbye. Really? Huh. There you yeah. go. I actually, for a moment, I suspected you were going to say that there's some film footage of Jimmy and Ushi doing some other things. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. That would be amazing. How amazing would that be? <laughs> that would be super amazing. But no, I don't know of the Do existence of that. Do have open door policies. Yeah, exactly. Know. That's right. Someone could be filming. So this is her first dalliance. Oh, as far as I'm aware, this is yeah. her first proper dalliance in, uh, I suppose, what we'd call groupiesville. Yeah. But as far as being a groupie, uh, getting on with Jimi Hendrix is uh, pretty impressive. Rising to the top of the pile yeah, quickly. Yeah, that's right. So Raina, he's they still together when yes. she's hooking up uh-huh. with Jimmy? And what does he reckon of everything? Uh, look, you know, I'm not entirely sure what he reckons, but I, I'm going to say that he probably wasn't as cool with it no. as he was when, when he, he was, was the one around. doing sleeping yeah. around. And especially considering that, you know, uh, what she's done is slightly more impressive. Well, yeah, I mean, who's going to fuck with Jimi Hendrix? Like, is he just going to be go up to him and be like... Hey, bro, <laughs> you stole my girl. Jimi Hendrix would just have to look at him. Hell no. No one's, gonna, <laughs> no one's picking a fight with Jimi no. Hendrix. So that is super impressive. And later on in life, when she reflected on it, she basically just said what you would expect, which was that he was an amazing lover. Yeah, I can so expect that. I, I am not surprised. <laughs> I am not surprised about that. So things in Commune 1 are a bit tense. It's <laughs> such a stupid name, um, Commune 1. Ushi is not very popular within the commune, commune itself. One. Yeah. And she's not very popular among her peers because of her lack of political Well, I was going to say, she's not a true member, is she? She doesn't actually really... She's benefiting from the commune, but she's actually not really contributing to it. She's not part of what they're yeah. trying to do. No. But Raina loves her and wants to be with her. And so they actually split away and form their own separate commune. Okay. They've still got to have the commune life. Yeah. They just uh different commune. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. They're going to set the rules for the commune. Correct. And so they set up their own new commune called the High Fish Commune. That's a way better name. Uh, it's, I think it just means like shark uh, in German. Yeah, but it's still better than commune one. It is. It's more creative. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. High Fish. Yeah. Is that mean shark? 
I'm yeah. I, I thought it was like a high fish. On like As a really like, high in the sky, tall like fish. a stoned fish. Like I thought that was a reference to. I mean, this is counterculture, Alicia. Well, I think it's a play on words, so it probably means that yeah. in a way. I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> yes, yeah, so they create the high fish commune, and look, it's a very, very different kind of commune because this is a commune that is about sex and drugs and, and rock, rock and, roll. and roll. It's not about politics. Yeah, and they had a lot of happenings, a lot of parties a lot of LSD, a lot more free love, which I think was probably less sort of constructed free love, less demanding free love. So um, Freer free love? Freer free love. (laughs) So, yeah, in comparison to sort of, I guess, sort of the Spartan kind of conditions of the earlier commune. It really doesn't sound like a fun commune anymore. No, this commune is fun. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like it. Yeah. See, this is the problem, Lauren. You get really interested in communes, but I think that you'll find that you'll end up in a commune that's much like Commune 1, and you'll be like, this is way less fun. I want to be in the high high fish commune. (laughs) (laughs) This is a wrong commune. rock and roll commune. I'm in the wrong commune. Not the political activism commune. (laughs) This commune also, apparently, Peter Green from uh, Fleetwood Mac is supposed, oh, yeah. supposedly visited there and had, like, uh, the worst LSD trip of his life, oh, no. which apparently scarred him for life. Oh, dear. But um, anyway, so, you know, still lots of rock and roll going on. And also at this time, Ushi... Now, I, I actually don't know how precisely she met the Rolling Stones. Yeah. But all that matters is she met she the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. The Rolling fucking stones. stones. So, in the movie that you mentioned before, the biopic, I don't know how precise that film is. Yeah. And that film gets a lot of shit, right? Okay. Most reviews of it are like, this film is awful, which I think is a bit harsh. I actually really enjoy that film. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure how accurate it is, <laughs> but it's an, a pretty enjoyable film. And. In that version of events, the Rolling Stones basically like invite Raina and Ushi to come and meet them because they're impressed right. with their whole world mm-hmm. and their whole life. So it doesn't actually really matter how they meet. All but we need met. to know is they meet. Yeah. And so apparently the story is is that when Mick Jagger and Keith Richards first meet Ushi, they pretty much had a little bit of a like She's mine. She's mine. She's mine. No, she's mine. Fuck off. She's mine. I can imagine that. So this went on for a little while. Yeah. And apparently uh, Keith is the one who won. won out. However, Ushi, I believe, did still also bang Mick Jagger. Well, Because who's not? Why would you not? Right. You're going to bang Mick Jagger. But the important person is Keith Richards. Okay. And Keith Richards is important not in just like the – fling with Mick Jagger or fling with Jimi Hendrix kind of way, but Keith Richards actually becomes one of the key loves of her Mm. life. Keith Richards in his autobiographies mentions her as well. Right. And it was a genuine it was a genuine reciprocal Mm. love. Keith Richards and Ushio Bemeyer were genuinely in love with each other. Which is kind of yeah, yeah, except that a bit problematic because Keith He's Richards. Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah, and also Keith Richards was also was he married. Yeah, he was married. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. thought so. <laughs> no, they weren't actually married, but they were like common law, like de facto. Common. They were in a proper common law. Common law. I don't know where. She's my common law wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a common law wife. I don't know why that's de facto. De facto. I don't know where that came from. Committed partners. Yeah, he was in a committed relationship yes. with Anita Palin. Did they go on to marry? No, were they just... No, he did go okay. on to marry someone else. All right, But all not, right. I don't believe... He had kids with Anita Pallenberg. Okay. But I don't know if they were ever actually married. But Anita Pallenberg 
you might know she was a model as well. Mm, of um, course. So Keith had a thing for models, obviously. obviously. Well, wouldn't. Who, he can fuck anyone in pretty much. the world. Yeah. <laughs> of course he's going to. Yeah. Anyway. He's gonna, not going <laughs> to aim too low. So um, she was a model and an actress and she's probably most famous. Well, to me she's most famous anyway because she she's the great tyrant in Barbarella. Barbarella. She's amazing. Barbarella is one we oh, got to get to. Yeah. Although, interestingly, in Barbarella, it's not her voice. What? Really? She, she was dubbed over. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Anyway, that's anyway. sidetrack. We That's talk- the story for next season. That's the story for next season. So despite being in a relationship with Anita Pallenberg, he does take up a side relationship with, with Ushi. Ushi. Mm. And they go on to have a pretty sort of full-on reciprocal loving relationship. She goes on tour with the Stones. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? Who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't go on tour with the Stones? So basically poor old Raina... See you, mate. Gets the boot. Oh, he's left behind in because West Germany. He's out because now who's gonna stay in the commune no, when they can go stay in the high fish commune in West Berlin when you can go on tour with the Rolling Stones? I know. See you, mate. I know what I'd rather be doing. Fuck yeah! So off she goes with the Rolling Stones and has a pretty impressive time. Pretty good time. <laughs> pretty good time. Yeah. But also at this point in her life, she meets. Another another rock star? And no, not a Ooh. rock star, but another important figure in mm-hmm. her life. This is a guy called Dieter Bockhorn, right? And Good his name. Yeah, I know. And he <laughs> is he's German. And he's actually famous for running kind of like a red light district nightclub kind of I think he was pretty much a pimp sort of a former Hamburg pimp basically right. so in good old Hamburg town Excellent. Uh, known for what have we we've miniature been, Wonderland miniature, we've been to Hamburg before known for miniature trains miniature Wonderland is all that's really important <laughs> red light districts and more miniature trains she meets Dieter and she he becomes another really important man in her mm-hmm. life and she's a, attracted to him as well and so it's while she's actually on tour with the Rolling Stones, on tour with Keith, that it becomes clear to her that this life of, like, sex, drugs and rock and roll, which we've mentioned so many times, yeah. she's re- realised that she can't do this forever. No. Right? You know, this is not... You're here for a short term, not a long time. Yeah. A good time, not, not a long, a long time. time. Yeah. And that she can't keep doing this yeah. forever and no, that that's she, fair enough. she needs out. So how... I mean, is this still like 68, 69 or are we so in the 70s So we're getting into the 70s now, now yeah. because it's in 1973 that she leaves Germany for good. Right. And she leaves with Dieter. And what's important to know is she leaves with Dieter in a customised bus to travel the world. Oh, cool. So Dieter, with all of his leftover red light district monies has made this amazing customized bus to Great. live in you can see pictures there are pictures of the bus on I'm so excited on about so many elements of Ushi's life this is what she's so great she's yeah. so amazing so i want to customize a bus and and let's customize a bus all right we'll customize we'll do it yes. we'll, we'll, we'll make our own deviant women customized so bus we take the show and we'll travel oh my god we'll travel the world on the road deviant women bus it'll be amazing so, but Dieter had done a lot of traveling already. He'd traveled through Africa. Mm. Um, he'd traveled through Europe. And this is what Ushi wanted to do. Yeah. She wanted to see the world, right? Because she's got the world at her feet. Is that one of the reasons why she went with the stones? So that she could tour? Yes. She wanted to, absolutely. This is what I'm saying. When she yeah. was young, she was that 
young girl who had dreams of seeing the world and being something bigger and doing something more. Yes. And the stones offered that to her. Yep. But at some point she was like, but the stones offer this to me and they offer this to me with this In drug, crazy yeah, lifestyle yeah. that I can't keep playing out for yep. forever. Dita offered her a different version. A bus. A life on the road. Yeah. As a strange little family. Because the other thing as well is that I think Dita had like a pet monkey oh, whoa, for like okay. most of the 70s. and Right. Yeah, which I'm I'm not cool with. <laughs> I'm not cool with that either, but it was the 70s, man. It was a different but time. You'll see a lot of photos of them and there's a, usually a monkey okay. in the photos. Yeah, animal so. rights have come a long way since they have. They have. I don't think he necessarily mistreated the monkey. No, I'm sure he but didn't. It's, I'm but just um, not cool with pet monkeys. I mean, monkeys just like... They don't belong in a customised bus. In bus. Yeah, that's right. So they set off across the world and they travel... First of all, they travel through... Asia. Mm. And I mean, this is a really the 70s, right? This yeah, is a really fascinating. 70s in Asia. Really interesting time yeah. to be traveling through Asia and crossing borders. Yeah. Like, because they're, they're driving from Europe. Yes. The hippie trail, man. The hippie trail. They would have driven through the fucking hippie trail, just like every. Oh yes, because that goes through. It goes through the Middle East, and yes. you go through like Afghanistan, yeah, and then Iran, like all those countries along the yeah, yeah. Um, and in Keith Richards, one of Keith Richards' autobiographies, he mentions that at some point he heard a rumor that Ushi had died from a miscarriage in Afghanistan. And that was like, for a long time, he thought that that's what had happened to her. Somewhere along the way, he heard this story. Yeah, she she had a miscarriage and died in Afghanistan. And he was like, oh, well, she's gone. That's it. She's gone. And it wasn't until like later on, he discovered that she she was still alive. Oh, my God. And he was like, oh, my God. But sadly, she did actually have have a miscarriage. miscarriage. But it wasn't fatal, obviously. But on this journey, that did actually happen. And so... Her life, yeah, you can imagine though, like just that whole life on the road, you yeah. know, and driving through all of these crazy places where you don't speak the language, yeah. you don't know anyone these or were anywhere. The, look, this was starting to be a thing in the late 60s and early 70s because the hippie trail was just starting to get carved out. So yeah, and parts it's a of thing this, now. Yeah, and parts of this entire region were only opening up for, this really first for the first time. time. Yeah, yeah. They carved this out and there's a lot of tourist centers have sprung up but they've like along you know this line but that's because of this original route that a lot of young people of this time were taking in their custom buses and vans as trailblazing through from europe to or they would usually go all the way down to southern india yeah and this is what they did yeah. as well and like literally trailblazing literally yeah carving that trail that then is going to be westerners but yes yeah, exactly a western yeah. trail yeah. like yeah. let's just be clear about that yeah, it's a very <laughs> these places do already exist in yeah. our it's, a very, it's very yeah that's right i mean they're not <laughs> discovering it for the first yeah. time but in terms of opening up like two westerners yeah. this was the time when this yeah. was happening they do that that exact same thing and they do end up in India. And there were reports at the time and they would kept cropping up in magazines when journalists could find them to interview them. Yeah. And they were an incredibly famous couple for, mm. their, for their travels and their journeying. And when they arrived in India, they actually did get married in oh, India. Okay, cool. And had like an Indian wedding ceremony. Wow. And 
Ushi said later on that she she constantly had to sort of like talk down these rumors that they got married in every country that they went to. Oh, because there were these rumors that went around that's like that they just kept going to the next country and getting married again and going to the next country <laughs> and getting married again. But she was like, no, that's not true. We did get married, but, but we got married India. once mm-hmm. in India, and that's it. So they travel on, basically doing this, traveling the world, because then they go into the US and they go down to Mexico and they spend. How the hell did- uh, did they get a new bus for the winter? They had they I get believe the maybe they put on, I feel they probably put, probably on, a put on a boat. Yeah. I think it's probably what they <laughs> yeah. did. And they do this for the next best part of 10 years. Oh my god. Traveling the world in a in a bus. Literal dream life. Apparently she must have at some point left Dita briefly because Keith Richards does talk about her popping up briefly on a Stones tour in San Francisco in like 1975. So she must have just, just like, hey guys. hey guys. And that's when they were like, fuck, we thought you died yeah, in we Afghanistan. We thought you died in <laughs> Afghanistan. But she did crop up again <laughs> in his life at that point. And yeah, and then they go on to travel down, yeah, through the US and into Mexico in this bus, right? That's so fantastic. It's pretty fantastic. So she's living her best life. Her best life. life. My best life too. Laura, also Laura's best. <laughs> Actually, you know what? This is also yeah, my. And your best this life. is also my best life. <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. honest, this is not just a Lauren thing. This is definitely, definitely. also uh, Alicia best yeah. life. That's why you were drawn to Ushi in the first place. This is why I love her so yeah. much because I think she's basically lived all of our best lives yeah. <laughs> for us. Thank you, Ushi, very much for doing that. Mm. We're going to jump now to 1983, right? Mm. So we've been on the road. In the bus. We've skipped the, most of the 70s. we skipped most of the 70s. But they've been driving for 10 years. We've been so. driving for 10 years yeah. in the bus. And we're going to get to December-ish 1983. Okay. So this is where her life has one of those kind of really interesting parallel moments where things come together. Mm-hmm. So Raina was obviously a really key person in her life, but her real her two loves have really basically been Keith Richards and Dita. And Dita. And yep. Dita Bockhorn. Right. So Dita and Ushi are camped on a beach in Mexico in their bus. Yep. Right. Yep. Got Just a picture in my head. Got, yep. You've got a picture of I'm that. I'm good. Yep. Oh, and man. I think I know where this is going. Go what's, what's key to know is that at this point, Keith Richards hadn't been with Anita for a long time. He was with Patty Hansen. So he and Patty Hansen were getting married in Mexico. <laughs> They were getting married in Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. Yeah. Which also happened to be exactly where... Where they were camping? Ushi and Dita were camping. Well, what do you know? In their bus. Amazing. So... That actually is really incredible. It is actually fucking amazing. (laughs) It's ridiculously amazing. And so apparently the story goes... This is the story from Keith Richards' point of view. The story goes that... One of his friends who was there for the wedding came up to him and said, you wouldn't believe it. There's this, like, <laughs> crazy woman camped out in a bus. On the beach. On the beach. And this, he didn't know who she was. She was just like, No, he's just like, there's weirdo. this weird German weird couple. German hippies on the beach. Camped out on the beach in this crazy customized bus. And, of course, Keith Richards thinks to himself, I know a crazy, I know a crazy German lady. German lady. <laughs> I know a crazy German lady who's been traveling the world in a customized yeah. bus. Holy fuck. <laughs> so... He goes to see Ushi. Yeah. And is like, oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm here because I'm about to marry Patty Hansen. You know, at this stage, the love of my life. Yeah. I'm going to be with her. Great to see you, but I'm off to get married. Oh, shit. You know? And she's like, oh, fuck. Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> hi, bye, Keith Richards. Yeah. And then. Former love of my life. Former love of my life, right? So 
if you kind of think about that as, you know, so this is kind of closing a door on oh, a chapter yeah. in yeah, their yeah, life, yeah. right? You know, closing a door and, oh, my God, I've seen Keith for the first time in however many years and he's getting married and, and, that, that's, and that's done the, now. That's it. That's the end. That's I'm the end Dita, of that. We're in our bus. Everything's yep. great. Gonna mm-hmm. let that go. That ship has sailed. And Except. then and then what happens, Ooh, Lauren? What happens? Is that like basically a couple of nights later, like I think it's actually on New Year's Eve of nineteen eighty three. I'm just hang on. I'm Did, picturing the beach. Yeah. The moon's out. Yeah. The waves are crashing. Yeah. In the in it's the a hot no, it'd be a cold night. No, it's pretty hot. I'm okay. gonna say it's hot. Well, you know what? I'm gonna paint it how the movie paints it for yeah. you. I don't yeah. want to destroy the movie for you. But in the movie, they make it so that Dita's actually angry about her seeing Keith. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if this is how it actually happened in the real life, but he rides off in his motorbike, mm-hmm. and this is what happens in real life. Yeah. He does ride off on his motorbike, and he has an accident, <gasps> and he gets decapitated. What the fuck? And he clearly. He dies. That's not what I expected to happen. What were you thinking? He dies. He fucking dies. Oh my god! Isn't that horrible? That's that is not where I thought the story was going to go. What did you think was going to happen? I thought that Ushi and Keith were going to have their reunion and they were going to run off together. No. Basically, what happens is in the space of like a few (gasps) days, Ushi Obermeyer loses the two. The most profound life. men in her entire life. Oh my god! I thought it was going to be like a case of like Keith's met his love, she's with her new love, and then they're reunited, and suddenly they're just going to abandon them and run off together again. No, holy shit! That's way more morbid than what it's, I thought was going to happen. It's pretty devastating. Jesus. So can you imagine that? Imagine that. Yeah. Like devastating. Totally. And utterly awful. devastating. So a really, really devastating end to the story there. That's the for end. Sure. Well, it's, okay, it's not the end of the story because she's still alive. Yeah. You know, but this is, this is, I suppose, this is the the closing of the door on this period of her life of wanderlust and yeah. of, I suppose, of high adventure so and the, all of that sort of stuff. So were the press still interested in her at this point? Like, was she still famous? Yeah, she when was. When she was in, in 1983? But pretty much after this, she... She pretty much becomes a recluse. Whoa, that's a pretty devastating thing to have happen. And you kind of imagine that you would, right? Yeah. You basically, you don't want to be in the public eye yeah. after all of and this. You don't want to keep driving your bus on your own. No. So she, she basically, she becomes a US citizen. And as far as I'm aware, she lives in LA or lives somewhere near LA now. And she's a jewelry designer. Wow. You could hunt her down when you're I'll in California. Try you oh should try it. Don't. I'll be so jealous if you got to meet Ushi. Imagine that. Oh, I would, oh, I'd be so jealous. <laughs> You'd be so mad at me. I would be so mad at you. I'm going to something for you. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. That would be, ex- yeah, acceptable, I suppose. But you know what's interesting, though? Some interesting things to, to take from this is that back in the early days when she started her relationship with Keith, something to note is that her English wasn't great. And yeah. Keith Richards had z- pretty no much German. zero German. So their relationship was, I don't want to say it was just purely physical, but. Well, they obviously loved each they other. They did love each other. But like, that's that thing of, you know, that crazy difficulty of kind of overcoming yeah. not speaking the same yeah. language. And I mean, obviously, Ushi does speak English mm. now, but. Obviously, as well, her preferred language to write in is German, German, despite the fact that she lives in L.A. That's like clearly still it's her first language. So she's going to write in German. Yeah. So she's she's basically just a a recluse these days making her jewelry and basically being a cool icon of 
the 60s. Wow. So she lost Dita, but I was reading a thing that was saying that she's still now in contact with Keith Richards from time to time. Yeah. And one of the things I read was that she gets in contact with Keith Richards whenever she needs free tickets to like a Rolling Stones concert. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wouldn't do that? Yeah. Use your contacts, man. Exactly. And so in 2007, she released her first autobiography, which was called My Wild Life. Yeah. Um, and that was turned into the biopic that uh, we keep mentioning, yes. which is Eight Miles High. And I look, I as I said, it doesn't get great reviews, but I really like I it. I really want to see it. I just need to get a copy with subtitles that work. Yeah, or learn German, or, really. Well, I feel like the subtitles is the easier version. <laughs> yeah, probably it is. But she's pretty fucking cool, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's pretty and cool. I really think that we should all embrace Ushi's story because yeah. I don't think she had it easy, you know? Like, mm-hmm. she's a pretty fucking tough cookie. She went through a lot. So I think the thing, like, with someone like Ushi is okay so she's not you know we're not we're not talking about her because she's created amazing works of art or she's written a classic piece of literature but because she's a woman who just lived her own life she chased what she wanted she has followed her her dreams and her passions and she wanted to get out of that small german life and she did and she had a really really good time And I think that there's probably a lot of people who might be critical of people who choose to live their lives these ways, you know, people who decide to buck the trend or who party all the time, you know, who do have a lot of drugs and join communes and drive buses around (laughs) foreign countries for 10 years. I like the way you make that sound like it's a really common thing to do. But like recently I've been thinking, (laughs) I've been dealing with a lot of like uh, general life crises lately of like of of the whole... Do I give up the pursuit of art and get a real job or what do I, what am I doing? No, never give up the pursuit of art. What is this thing? What am I doing? I'm 30 years old and there's more babies on my Facebook feed these days than (laughs) anything else. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to die. We're all going to die one day. Wow. This took a turn. It took a turn, but so did the Dita story. You, you took me on a morbid surprise (laughs) with that one. So I'm going to go on a morbid path here, but someone like Ushi, I think is someone who, this is the type of story that I need to hear when you're feeling like that whole, fuck, why, why are we here if not to try to live our best lives and be our truest selves and follow our dreams and do what makes us happy? I think that makes her a really awesome person to end our our season on. Yeah. And actually, another thing I didn't mention was that, yes, she had a modeling career, but she also had a brief acting career as well. And she was offered like a 10-year contract with an Italian producer and she turned it down in order to sort of carry on living her life of of freedom. Yeah. But she is in a few films. She's in a film called Red Sun or Röte Sonne, which I assume is how you say it in German, which is actually a really interesting film. I have seen it because, of course, I'm I'm a bit obsessed with her, so I would have seen it. And it's an interesting film because the premise of the film is that she lives in this, again, kind of like a, it's not a commune, but she lives in this house with these three other women and they've all kind of made a pact that they, it's like basically a man-hating house. Okay. And they kind of kill whatever men that they kind of have. Misandrist house. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's very, very interesting. And they're kind of like this 
little terrorist group oh my God. of women. So it's, it's a really interesting film. Like feminist separatist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Terrorist terrorists. Group. Yeah. But, <laughs> but of course, you know, the commune that she, so the commune life that she did have, this was before when I was talking about the Red Army faction, faction yeah, yeah. and the Beta-Meinhof group because they basically came out of this whole commune life in um, Germany in the late 1960s. Yeah. So she was kind of there on the threshold of yeah. this whole counter revolutionary gangs that came out of this period of time, like intense period of time. So, I mean, it's such a fascinating period of history to have lived through. And I think like, actually, I think one of the reasons why this period of history fascinates me so much is because it's actually not so far in the past that we can't grasp it. I mean, this is the sixties is when my mum and my dad were living in London. My mum and dad met in London in in the sixties. In the sixties. And so I think that I kind of romanticize this period of history because it's there. It's touchable. It's it's within reach. And I think that makes it really a fascinating period of time because there was so much upheaval, so much social Mm -hmm. revolution. And she became an iconic face of yeah. that social revolution. Which, ironically, because she actually had no personal She had no really in it. no interest <laughs> in it. But she was this beautiful face to put yeah. on it. So yeah. it's, it's really quite a fascinating story, yeah. I think. Definitely. I think she's really cool. I think she's just such an awesome icon for like, yeah. Doing what the hell you want. Yeah, freedom. And what's more deviant than that? Yes. That's so true. That is so true. What is more deviant than living the life that you want to live yeah. according to your own rules? And we said, like, early on in the season, Lady Pirates give no fucks. But you know what? Ushi Obermeyer's give no gives fucks. Gives no fucks. Gives no fucks. Deviant so, women give no fucks. I tried to pluralize Ushi Obermeyer into <laughs> many. We're all an We're Ushi. We're all Ushi. We're all Ushi <laughs> at heart. Yeah. So... I think talking about her brings us to the end of our season. What a great positive way to end, except for dear old Dita. Except for some of the bad stuff that happened in between. But otherwise. (laughs) Otherwise, a fun story. She's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I've got Jimi Hendrix in my head now. Hey. So. Like I said, this this entire episode had a great soundtrack to it. We should have just been playing some like. Hendrix stones in the background. Unfortunately, I think we might have to pay for that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It costs a lot of money. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. You can all put it on. Yeah, in in the background. That's right. In the privacy of your own home where we don't have to pay any kind of royalties. Royalties. Definitely. So there you go. Thank you for taking us to such an excellent place. It's, It's like... It was such an also a perfect ending for me because I'm about to go and track down some of this history in the hate, in hate Ashbury. Well, I thought it might inspire to, you, yeah, Lauren. in research counterculture. So this is going to be fresh in my mind when I get there. It's excellent. You're going to you. live your best life. I am. I feel a, a lot braver now about my the time I'm going to be spending alone in a van on the road. See, this is what I mean. Yeah. Embrace it. There's the Ushi part of me that's like, this is going to be fucking great. And then there's the 30-year-old sensible Lauren who's like, you're going to die. No, I'm you're not. I'm going to die, though. It's going to be fine. It's going to be so much fun. Live my best life. This entire year of Deviant Women has been so much fun. Yes. I've learned so much. We've... 23 lives we've now got locked away in our brains that we can pull out it. Whenever someone, yeah, when everyone's like, oh. we hope we've given everybody out there like party material, exactly. conversation excellent material, discussions at fancy dinner parties. If you want to share some excellent lives, 
Or maybe when you're really drunk and uh, you're in a corner with some dude who's yapping in your ear about, I don't know, something. And you're like, well, you know what? I've got a story for you, sunshine. <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but I think that there's so much inspiration we can take from all of the lives yeah. that we visited uh, this year. And, and we hope next that... season we're visiting some more. Exactly. We hope that you will be as excited as we are to come back fresh and new, fresh yeah. as a daisy in 2018 to look at yep. some more fascinating women. Because it is for us here in Australia the summer, so we're going to be off to spend some time um, working on well, Alicia's got a thesis to finish. I've got to finish my fucking PhD. Why doesn't it die? Make it die. And I've got a manuscript to write. Oh. So we will be back. Yes, maybe not so fresh, but certainly having two very major projects completed. So um, hopefully we'll be feeling pretty great about life and we will be returning in March. Is that right? We will. You, If you want to lock away a date in your diaries right now, you can write down March the 22nd. See how organized we are? We already know when season two will be launching. It's going to be launching on March the 22nd, yep. 2018. So lock that away in your diaries. One of the reasons why we're launching in March is because, of course, as we mentioned in our last episode, we've got some live shows happening in February and March. It's really exciting. Of next year. So Adelaide Fringe Time. That's right. We've got two different events, two Deviant Women, one on each night. So if you are going to be in Adelaide for the Fringe, if you're already in Adelaide, then please check us out to well make sure you're following us on facebook or twitter or the website so that you can keep up to date with as we're going to start bombarding you with advertisements for the we're not bombarding but we will be advertising the events (laughs) and you can also find those details through the fringe website and fringe programs as well so i think we're not going to give away too much in terms of who we're going to be doing because that's going to come with the uh, spanking launch of the show yep that you all get through the social medias yep. in the near future. Absolutely. And that'll be happening on February the 26th and March 14th, the 14th. At the Jade on Flinders Street in Adelaide. So Lock it away. we would love to see you there. How amazing would it be if, like, listeners turned up and they were like, That'd be pretty we great. listen to your show. <laughs> Imagine oh, we came. that. It'd be so cool. That'd be great. It'd be better than us sitting there talking to no one. But don't panic if you feel like March is really far away because we actually do have one or two more little things up our sleeve. And one of them is that we might be back just very briefly for a, a little little bit of a Christmas catch-up wrap-up special. Is that right? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Let's just call it that. The Christmas special catch-up wrap-up special. Yeah, I don't think we've actually made that into a succinct title, but (laughs) we'll go with something like that. We're going to do a special wrap-up before the year (laughs) is out. Yep. And if you are following us on Patreon, we are still going to be releasing Patreon-only content throughout the summer. So... If you're if you're so keen to keep hearing if from us, if you can't live without us, can't wait until March, then you can jump on Patreon and you can support us for as little as two dollars a month. 
That is nothing. Nothing. You can't support like a charity for that little, you know? No. Like you can't sign up to like Red Cross or Greenpeace. No. Or any. Greenpeace is 30 bucks a month for me. Yeah, exactly. This is what I'm saying. For $2, that's pretty impressive. And that will tide you through until March. That's correct. And you may even want to keep going after March. Who knows? You might not want to stop. You might want to stick with us through 2018. But we've got some exciting stuff coming up next, next year as well. So please stick with us. We really, really love you tweeting at us we've loved your reviews yes um this is what keeps us going so keep us going into next year i feel like there's this little great community of deviant women and deviant women fans and and deviant men you know we're all deviant we're all deviant so thank you to our deviants thanks deviants deviants thanks deviants (laughs) i reckon that's about it we're it we're done but yeah the other things you can do as well is if you want to continue being deviant and you want to buy yourself a shirt, jump on Etsy and have a look at the shirts and the pins. And the enamel pins as well. The and that's a pretty smart. That'll make you deviant over the summer. Maybe you want to buy a Christmas present for a deviant for the deviant woman that's in your life. That's a great idea. That's a really good idea. <laughs> they, they would make beautiful Christmas presents yes. for sure. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Deviant Women, or you can like us on Facebook, or of course, jump on the website, which is deviantwomenpodcast.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn or SoundCloud. Yep, definitely. And subscribe. And subscribe. I think that's it. Oh my God, is that it? We're done. 2017. Right, that's a wrap. Can we high five? That, was a, that sounded lame. That let's do it again. Let- Hey, there you go. (laughs) Sweet. Thanks so much for coming on this journey. Thank you. And as always, thank you to Brendan for the sound and thank you to India Hui for the music. We'll see you. We'll see you in 2018. Yeah. Except for the Christmas. Maybe we'll see you in 2018. Anyway. Thanks. Bye. Bye.